Thank you for the way you've joined in that singing tonight, this morning. We're very glad that you're here. Uh, I want to encourage you to plan to be back tonight at 5 o'clock. I know tonight there's a special event going on that a lot of people are interested in. And all I'm going to say about tonight is, I understand. I understand. So anyhow, I hope you'll come back tonight at 5 o'clock and be with us. Try to bring somebody with you, if at all possible. You know, it's wonderful to be around Christians that are singing, that enjoy singing together. I love good singing. I love going to places like camp or youth events where young people blend their voices together in song. I love to sit here uh, near the front as I listen to you folks as you join your voices together in singing praises to God. Some of my favorite songs are songs about heaven. Uh, We love to sing about heaven. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Or we sing songs like heavenly sunlight or when we all get to heaven or heaven will surely be worth it all. Sing to me of heaven. Heaven holds all to me. I suppose we probably enjoy singing about heaven because heaven is the place where most people that we encounter intend to go. In fact, most surveys reveal that the vast majority of people in our world today believe that heaven is in fact their destination. It's unfortunate though that Jesus Christ has prophesied that Heaven is not going to be in the future for most people. Our Lord said in Matthew 7 and verse 13, beginning, Enter ye at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. Sadly, most people will never lay their eyes on the beauties of heaven. And yet there is that minority that will certainly lay hold of eternal life. And I want to encourage us today by thinking about what heaven might be like. What's it going to be like for the first few minutes as we walk through heaven's shining portal? What are we going to be thinking? What is it going to be like when heaven is finally our home? I might suggest first of all today that those first few moments in heaven is going to be a time when we're going to realize that God's grace is in fact greater than all our sins. You know, sometimes I'm afraid we minimize our own sins. We minimize our own need for eternal salvation. We look at some of the terrible things that 
are taking place in our world and we have the attitude, well, you know, my shortcomings and my failures and my sins are not nearly as bad as those things. But we need to realize, folks, we can imagine the worst sin that possibly could be committed in the minds of human beings And we need to realize that what you and I individually have done toward God is far worse than what we could even imagine. And so I believe when we first enter heaven's portals, we're going to realize that God's grace is, in fact, greater than all of our sins. I think about what Paul said over in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9. Paul said, God spake to me. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will glory in my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul realized that God's grace is what he needed. Have you ever felt like that you were just so undeserving of God's undeserving favor? It may be that you feel that way all the time. And when you feel like that you're so undeserving of God's grace, you are exactly right. You are undeserving of God's gracious hand. Now, I don't say that in any way to demean our self-image, but really, I want to do the opposite. You know, we're to trust in God. Our confidence is in Christ Jesus. It's because of what Jesus did on our behalf, dying the just for the unjust, giving himself in our stead. It's only through him and by him that we can even have the hope of eternal life. And so when I say that we may feel unworthy, that should not diminish our self-esteem in any way. Instead, it ought to renew our spirits. To understand that God loves me and God loves you. And he loved us to the point that God was willing to send his own son because of that love. And he sent that son to this earth to die for you and for me. Now, if that doesn't build up your self-esteem, folks, I really don't know what will. The next time you're feeling down and out and you feel like you're undeserving of God's grace, which you are certainly, I hope you'll think about the love that God has for you. And the meaning that that ought to have for your life. You know, there are some people that have the ability to see something of value in that which other people would just simply discard and throw away. I'm oftentimes impressed by those individuals that drive through their neighborhoods. People have discarded certain items on the side of the road on the day when Garbage and other things are to be picked up. And sometimes there's some good things out there and people will come by and they will pick up what somebody else did not want. Oftentimes, uh, entrepreneurs will get out early on Saturday and they'll go to yard sales. 
and they will go to flea markets. They, they find treasures in what somebody else sees as of little value. I think about a very old medallion that an individual came across at a yard sale, bought it for $3. It looked very unique, and he had it checked out, and it sold at auction for $93,000. He saw something of interest and valuable in an item that another person didn't think was worth very much. And yet we need to realize today that our God is the master of redeeming that which ought to be discarded, which is us. We deserve to be lost. We deserve to be condemned forever in hell. And that's what God's grace is all about. God is able to look at that which seemingly has no value at all. And God sees great value in it. He values you. He values me. Ephesians 2 and verse 5 says, Even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, he hath made us alive together with Christ. For by grace are you saved. Romans 3 and verse 24 says, Being justified freely by his Grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We think about that parable of the publican and the Pharisee. Two men went up to the temple to pray. We know the prayer of the Pharisee, self-righteous. But down in verse 13, the publican standing afar off would not so much as lift his eyes unto heaven, but he smote upon his breast And he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. And then our Lord went on to say, for everyone that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. So you see, when we begin our walk through those pearly gates of our heavenly home. I imagine sometime during those first few minutes, we're going to understand that God's grace is truly greater than all our sins. But you know, another thing that I think is going to come to our minds as we enter those pearly gates, think about the fact that we're going to be able to look upon our Savior's face. Have you ever had somebody ask you what Jesus looks like? I have. Recently, somebody asked me, you know, what do you think Jesus looks like? And and if you look at pictures today that people have made about Jesus, one would think that maybe he's Caucasian, he has long hair, he's got blue eyes, he is attractive to look upon. I don't know what Jesus looks like. And I had to tell that person that. I know Isaiah 53 talks about how he is like a root out of a dry ground. He has no form or comeliness that we should desire him. Nothing to look at. You know, in the drought of summer, when everything is dry and the the dirt is 
cracking for lack of moisture. Sometimes we see those gnarly, ugly, unattractive roots coming up out of the ground to try to get moisture. That's how Isaiah describes our Lord. There's nothing physically attractive about him that we should desire him. But can you imagine that soon after we get into heaven, we're going to be able to do what only a few select in the first century were able to do. That is, we're going to be able to look upon our Savior's face. Over in Job chapter 19 and verse 26, Job said, Though my skin shall be destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. We're encouraged by Matthew 5 and verse 8, which says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It's going to be wonderful to be able to look upon our Savior's face. And what a joy it is going to be to be able to look into the eyes of that one who saved us from our sins. Then I think about the fact that the first few minutes in heaven, we're going to be able to reunite with all of our loved ones here upon this earth. I always think about King David over in 1 Samuel chapter 12, that child of David and Bathsheba that he loved so much was stricken with illness. David mourned, he grieved, he prayed, he didn't eat, fasted, Seven days, and on the seventh day, that child died. And all of a sudden, David got up, and he began to dress. He went into the house of worship. He began to eat and go about his normal activities. And, you know, David was asked about why he had changed his attitude after the death of that child. And David said in 2 Samuel 12 and 22, while the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast any longer? Can I Bring him back again, David said, a rhetorical question there. No, I can't bring him back, but I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. You know, there's a lot of people I think about that I am very anxious with reuniting in heaven. I have grandfathers and grandmothers who were Christians who've gone on before. I have many other loved ones in my family who have gone into eternity. But there are also many others that I and you consider as good friends here in this life that were faithful Christians. I, like you, have friends who have left this earth prematurely because of cancer. 
I have friends like you who were Christians that their lives were cut short because of maybe an automobile accident or some other accident. I want to reunite with those friends and loved ones in heaven. I think back to my years of preaching. I remember my first full-time work in Fulton, Mississippi. I had been there about 10 days and had our first death. One of the older ladies there just suddenly dropped dead with a massive heart attack. And I'm thrown right into the fire. Got to do a funeral and and get ready for that. I, I think about that individual, Carolyn Justice. Then I think about all the many people through the years that I have known and whose friendship I cherish. I can look out into this assembly today and I look in various spots and I see where many of my beloved brethren have sat in days past and gone, but now their seats are no longer occupied or they're occupied by someone else because they've left this life. I think about those individuals who were great and faithful followers of Jesus Christ, people that gave their lives laboring for the cause of Christ, people that were dear and cherished friends. And I think about the fact that one day there's going to be a grand reunion that's going to take place. And I always think about those mothers, and there are several here perhaps who have experienced maybe a miscarriage, Maybe you weren't very far along, or maybe you were fairly far along, and for whatever reason, that child was never born to live life here upon this earth. Can you imagine the reunion that's going to take place in heaven one day when mothers and fathers will see those unborn children for the first time? And, of course, we know the statistics, and it's much more than just a statistic, if I can say that word correctly. You think about the 50-plus million babies that have been aborted since the Supreme Court legalized their slaughter in 1972. Can you imagine what heaven is going to be like when we see all of those individuals in heaven folks we've got something to look forward to and just like David said I cannot raise this child from the dead I cannot bring him back to me he won't return to me David said but I shall go to him the first few minutes in heaven is going to be a wonderful time of reunion. And then let me suggest as well that those first few minutes in heaven, it's going to be a time when we realize our perfected state of existence. You know, there are some who came to service today with a walker, some who had to have assistance just to be able to make it in our building today. But in heaven, there's not going to be any durable medical equipment because you won't need it. 
Uh, in heaven, there won't be any need for you to remember to take your medicine because there won't be any sickness. There won't be any cemeteries in heaven because there's not going to be any more death. I think about many folks that would love to be here today, but their health simply will not allow them to do so. There won't be any of that once we make it to heaven. Now, a doctor can go to heaven, an undertaker can go to heaven, but a doctor or an undertaker cannot practice their profession in heaven because there's not going to be any need for doctors or undertakers in heaven. You know, sometimes when I get up in the morning and I feel the aches and pains that I have And I wonder what it might be like if I happen to make it to the age of 80 or perhaps older. You know, if I ache this much at almost 51, what in the world is it going to be like when I get older? But imagine for a moment what it would be like to never ache, to never hurt, to never get sick. To see perfectly, to walk upright, to have a perfect memory, to have a strong back, to to be as full of energy as you were when you were a child. And, And somebody says, well, that's going to be heavenly. And that's exactly right. We're going to realize our perfected state of existence. I love what the Bible says in Revelation 21 and verse 1. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be their God and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things are passed away. The first few minutes in heaven, we're going to realize our perfected state of existence. And then I want to suggest to you as well that during the first few minutes in heaven, we're going to actually, perhaps for the first time, see and understand the fruit of our reward. Now over in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 42, Jesus said, Whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water, Only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. Our Revelation 14 verse 13 says, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. If I were to ask you this morning to name some of your accomplishments as a Christian, I imagine perhaps you probably could think of a few. But you know, the great thing about heaven is that there are results, there are fruits of our labor that we're never really going to know about until we get to heaven. 
You know, sometimes we think, you know, what's the use? You know, what's the use? Why keep sacrificing for God? Why keep putting myself out? It, it's just not getting any kind of results. It's going nowhere. Sometimes we minimize our influence. We minimize our efforts. But we need to realize today that every single individual here, our young people especially, but all of us, we have a profound impact on the lives of other people. And it may be that we will not understand that influence and impact until we get to heaven. Brother Flavel Nichols is a dear friend of mine. He's the son of the late Gus Nichols. Brother Flavel is now in his late 90s. And Brother Nichols, in my association with him for 10 years when I was in Jasper, was one of great encouragement. Brother Flavel Nichols was perhaps the most spiritually minded individual that I have ever known personally. And it would be a whole other lesson just to explain why that would be the case. But Brother Nichols wrote some words a few years ago about the power of one. I want to read this to you today, and I'm going to put it on the screen as well. Brother Nichols writes, During the war between the states, a young woman learned the truth and obeyed the gospel. Her sweetheart, J.H. Hallbrook, was a Confederate soldier. He was captured by the Union Army and he was kept prisoner in Michigan until the war was over. He was given a ticket to Nashville, Tennessee in $2.50. And from there, he returned to Centerville and found what was left of his home and family. He found his girlfriend and they were married his wife studied the Bible with him, and he soon became a Christian. He thought the truth was so good and so simple that he began to teach and baptize many of his friends and neighbors. He began to preach, but he recognized his need for more training, and so he came to the original Mars Hill Bible School in Florence, Alabama, taught by T.B. Larimore. And upon completing his studies there, instead of going back to Tennessee, they moved further south, coming into Walker County, Marion, Fayette, and Lamar counties in Alabama. One of his many converts was Charlie Alexander Wheeler. His wife taught him to read from the Bible, and along with his wife, C.A. Wheeler, he obeyed the gospel, and he soon began preaching to others. Brother C.A. Wheeler started more than 100 congregations, baptized more than 6,000 people. But wait, the story has not ended. One of those 6,000 was my father, the late Gus Nichols. 12,000 were baptized under his preaching. And among those baptized by Gus Nichols, no one knows nor can know how many begin to preach the glorious gospel of Christ. But I personally know several. 
I flavel nickels am one whom he baptized and whom he encouraged to preach the truth. And under my preaching, about 3,000 have been baptized, and among them, many have preached the gospel also. Only eternity can reveal the total results of the conversion of that one girl nearly 160 years ago. And the results are not all in yet. But this shows that 21,000 people have become Christians through this single thread in the fabric of her influence. The power of one. Then as I close today, very quickly, I want to suggest that the first few minutes in heaven, we're going to realize that, you know, this is never going to come to an end. Have you ever been on a trip or have you ever been in a certain situation maybe with your family and you think to yourself, you know, I wish we could just capture this moment. I wish this moment would never end. I wish everything could, could just stay like it is right now with, with all the troubles of the world seemingly removed from our lives. I wish it could stay this way. Well, in heaven, if you happen to say those words, someone may look at you kind of funny because in heaven, you're going to be at a place where it will never end. Luke 1 verse 33 says, He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. The Bible says in Matthew 25 and verse 46, These shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto life eternal. As we sing the words of that beautiful song, Amazing Grace, the last verse says, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright, shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. You know, when Marco Polo was on his deathbed, some who thought that his stories about the far west were far-fetched they asked Marco Polo on his deathbed to recant some of those wonderful stories. And he replied with weakness of breath, Never, for I have only told you half of it. And truly today an individual could preach on heaven for a thousand years and yet not tell half of it. Heaven is more than our greatest dream. It's larger than our imagination. And folks, we need to take great courage in the words of Jesus who said in John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. You believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. 
that where I am, there you will be also. I hope today that heaven is in your future. If you're yet outside of Christ, you're lost, you're without hope. And yet today, if you'll obey the gospel of Jesus Christ in simple trusting faith, be willing to repent of your sins, you can be immersed in water today for the remission of your sins based upon your confession of faith in him. You can know the joy of salvation. Do you have the hope of heaven today? If you need to come,